Hey, this is Mike Signorelli, the lead pastor of B1 Church, and God really placed it on my heart to launch our second location. And it's really a crazy thing to launch two locations in two years, but I've been living in Queens and just so burdened by the tremendous need that I saw there for a life-giving church. And not only did we launch the church, but fast forward just a short time later, we are doing our very first five for five. So we had just five incredibly, not just talented and not just anointed, but humble, servant-hearted leaders communicate for the heart of our house. And I just cannot tell you enough about what's going to happen in your life as a result of listening to this five for five. So I want to meet you on the other side, and I have a special message for you at the end. Without further ado, here you have it, V1 Queens, five for five. Although... I love that introduction. I just want to um, give an introduction also to our pastors. Our pastors, Pastor Julie and Pastor Mike Signorelli, uh, or Pastor Mike Signorelli and Pastor Julie. It doesn't matter because they're still one, so it doesn't matter. But I want to give honor to, um, to them because of this very fact that they have given us an opportunity, a platform, and not only us that are speaking on for 5 for 5, but each and every one of you guys to be able to guide us into and lead us into a new place in our lives. Amen? Amen. So, uh, guys, I'm just going to get started because I don't have much time, right? So, uh, I, I want to I wanna just start off with, um, with just, I don't know about you guys, but like, there's, there's, when I was younger, about 10 years ago, you know, 10, 10 years when I was younger, I had that uh, prayer that I always prayed. Um, ladies, you know the prayer I'm talking about, the one where you talk, you, you ask God for a six-foot um, man, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, a light-skinned complexion um, or, or caramel complexion or a strong man of a husband, maybe like myself. That's what Mary told me she used to pray for. So, so um, God granted her wish and whatnot. Um, but, but, <laughs> but um, you know, she, uh, my prayer was a little different, though. You know, my prayer was more like I would always ask God, uh, God, who am I? You know, who, who, who have you called me to be and what is my identity? That's what I would ask God for, like constantly. That was what I asked God for. And God would constantly lead me to a scripture. Um, uh, it was Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And it read a little something like this. It, it said, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That word likeness is defined as resemblance or representation. I struggled for years trying to figure out, you know, who I was, constantly asking God over and over again, show me, Lord, who am I? Who am I? Who have you called me to be? And he would constantly lead me back to that scripture. Let us make man in our image to resemble us, to let us, I mean, let us make man to think like us, to communicate like us, to understand and love like us, to be creative like us and to experience like us. But for, in order for you to really understand what that scripture really means, we got to go back six years. And I'm not, uh, six days, sorry. We got to go back six days. And I'm not talking about six days today, but six days back then, right? Because God had been creating. And from day one, he created night and day. Day two, he created the waters and the heavens. Day three, he created the earth, the seas, and vegetation. Day four, the sun and the moon. Day five, the birds of the air and the creatures of the sea. Then finally, day six, 
first he created the land animals on day six, but then secondly, he created, he saved the best for last, right? He created man, right? And our identity is found in the image of God. There's a saying that says, show me your friends and I will show you who you are, right? Somebody was with me. Um, but the Bible says, show me Jesus and I will begin to resemble his image. That's kind of paraphrase, right? Let me just get vulnerable for a second. My issue had always been comparing myself. I'm just going to be honest with you. I always tried to compare myself and Instagram and Facebook didn't make it any easier. I, I, I was, it, it made it even harder for that because you guys know, like every, you see what's going on. And rather than for me to hold the mirror to myself, I was constantly holding a mirror to someone else and comparing myself to them, right? Therefore, losing my identity and gaining self-doubt, insecurities, lack of confidence, and so much more. I want you guys to take note. I don't know how many of you have a notepad or whatever. Pull out your phones. Comparison is the enemy of identity. Comparison is the enemy of identity. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent began to show Eve a reality that wasn't her identity. When her identity was supposed to be obedience, <laughs> the devil began to re whisper rebellion. Eve made the mistake of thinking that I am the owner of my identity. Our identity was never ours to begin with. We were made in the image of God after his resemblance to re represent him. The I in identity is not for us. It's for him. So he is the I am that I am. You understand? So next time thoughts begin to creep in of self-doubt and insecurities or pride for that matter, you counteract that and begin to say, God said, I am able to think. I am able to communicate. I am able to understand and love. I am able to create. I am able to experience. In the beginning, catch this, in the beginning, when he created each day, when he created each day started with God said. So I pose this question to you. What is God saying to you today about your identity? So the Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God, right? But in God, there's no fear. In God, there's no insecurity. In God, there's no self-doubt. So why do we have these things in us? Because they were added later. So some of us have absorbed the things that people have said about us. Some of us have adopted the idea that we should look like someone else besides God. And some of us have just stopped looking at God and are only looking at ourselves. So we end up believing these lies that we tell ourselves and we end up internalizing the things that other people have said about us and we live out of these lies and we don't even realize that it's happening. How could you be so stupid? Your friends are so much prettier than you are. Who's ready to get free? Let's do that. Uh, let's look at Moses. So you remember Moses, Old Testament? Let my people go. That's my deep man voice. So Moses was not born that way. He wasn't born with a deep man voice. He was born into slavery. And when he was born, he was an Israelite. And the Israelites are living in Egypt where they used to be guests, but now they're slaves. And Exodus 1.14 says that the Egyptians worked the Israelites ruthlessly with harsh labor. And the Israelites' lives were bitter. So here we have the Israelites. They're bitter. Over here we have the Egyptians. They're ruthless. 
Do you know anybody who's bitter? Do you know anybody who's ruthless? Maybe you work with them. So I'm not going to go into the details because I only have three minutes and 18 seconds. But Moses was born. He was put in a basket, went down the Nile River, taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. That's the king of Egypt who's holding Moses' people as slaves and working them ruthlessly. So um, my question is, who do you think said worse things to Moses? Was it bitter or was it ruthless? The Israelites are watching him grow up in the palace while they're being worked and beaten to death. Why 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 do you get to be over there? You don't deserve to go there. You don't deserve that. Do you? Now the Egyptians, the Egyptians are wondering why, why are you here? You don't belong here. Shepherds are dirty. Your people are shepherds. You're probably really dirty. Yeah. So again, I'm not going to go into the details because now I have two minutes and 19 seconds, but Moses meets God. This is where everything changed. He literally meets God face to face or face to bush and face to burning bush. And um, he hides his face because he was afraid because he didn't know who he was. So God tells Moses right away, go free Israel from the oppression of Egypt. Okay. Moses says in Exodus three, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Did you catch that? Who am I? We say, God, I can't trust you because I don't know who I am. I'm scared. And I don't know who you are, so I can't trust you. But we were created in the image of God. And in God, there's no fear. In God, there's no insecurity. And in God, there's no self-doubt. Moses doesn't know who he is yet because he hasn't, write this down, he hasn't established a trust relationship with God yet. He's still living out of those lies that tell him he's not good enough, that tell him he doesn't belong there, tells him he's stupid, tells him whatever, he's ugly. All right, spoiler alert, Moses, Moses trusted God. He ended up trusting God. And we know this because he did what God told him to do. He went and he freed Israel. In the process of him going, being obedient, and freeing Israel, he found himself. He found his own freedom through that process. Write this down. Our identities are hidden in Christ. Trust and radical obedience unlock our identities. Moses spent so much time after this in the presence of God that his face became radiant and he started to look like God. He started to look like he was intended to look, like he was created to be. The more time you spend with God, the more you're going to look like God. The less you're going to look like what people said you look like. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Um, Why don't you just turn to your neighbor real fast and give him a big old, oh, yeah, real fast. So um, we're, we're two weeks out of Easter. <laughs> we're two weeks out of Easter, and um, during that time, I was really reading the Word, seeing what God had to say about the crucifixion. And uh, there is, like, one sentence that appeared in three of the four Gospels that really, like, threw me off. It was, like, counter-narrative almost. And it's one sentence, but it appears three times. And as I was wrestling with that, um, Pastor Mike actually called me, and he was like, uh, so May 5th is uh, the 5 for 5. Uh, do you want to do it? And I was like, 
Pastor Mike, I think you've got the wrong number, but I'll definitely try my best. I'll definitely try my best. No, no, no. So uh, let's just dive right into it. Let's see what um, they say. It's uh, Matthew 27, 32, ESV. It says, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. In Mark 15, 21, it says, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And Luke 23, 26 as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid, in, laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And we don't really know anything about this guy. We could assume he was like a peasant, a farmer, just coming back to the town after a long, hard day's work. And he was like forced and, and like, like the Romans just made him help them in this execution of an innocent guy. And I said, God, why? Why do you have this in the Bible? It's so counter-narrative to what you were doing. And he said, son... I commanded you to carry your cross and crucify your old self to die and rise again with me. But just know, just know it was me who was carrying the cross for you the whole time. And come on, isn't it just like God when you're like carrying the cross is feeling all so heavy and your knees are starting to buckle with the fear and the shame and the guilt of this world is holding you back? God's like, son, just give it to me. Let me carry this cross for you. And you're walking up to Golgotha and you're nailing your hands to the cross. Oh, kill myself. Let me put this guilt on here, this shame of my old self. And you see Jesus. He's just reaching out with his nail-scarred hands. Son, I'm here with you the whole time. It was me who was carrying that cross for you. Come on, church. Come on. You're trying so hard to just die to this world. And you are born again, made new in the identity that God has given for you. Let's go to Romans 6, 6 through 9. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought into nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And I just want to be vulnerable. This morning, yesterday, that phone call with Pastor Mike, I was so unworthy. I was so insecure, and I was saying, like, I, I, I really didn't think I could be up here and do this and just share with you what God was telling me, but I'm up here just standing in front of you, crucifying my old self, being made new with a new identity that God has given to me, and I just wanted you guys to know that when you crucify your old self, you are made new in a creation that God says who you are, he says what you are, he says what you're going to be doing, and it's all so worth it. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I got to follow after that. <laughs> Buenos dias, familia. Come on. I know it's single de Maya. My wife's probably right now saying, yeah, you're Puerto Rican, but you don't speak Spanish. Come on. Let's just keep it real here. <laughs> but for the few moments that I have with you guys, I want to talk to you about that your identity in Christ can either be discoverable or disguisable. Come on. I'm repeat that again. Your identity. Christ can either be discoverable or disguisable. So first, let's talk about what identity really is. Identity can be summed up in two general terms for the most part. A sense of self, where you feel it's your core value, your role that you're playing in your family or in your job situation, and also a sense of worth. That thing that makes you feel so significant. So when you have a sense of self, and when you have a sense of worth, we normalize it to say that we have identity. 
but society and culture suffers from identity crisis. It seeks its own identity formation that says, this is how you're supposed to look like. You're supposed to do it a certain way in an attempt to rename who you are. See, the problem with this and talking about Genesis, the problem with this is that our modern selves is considered to be unstable. We're incoherent. We're presenting a fake persona. But who we are in Christ, the Christian selfhood is not defined in these terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It's defined in the terms of what God does to us and the relationship he creates within us and the destiny that he's appointed to us. So here's the question I want to talk to you about. What type of ID are you carrying? Turn to the person next to you and say, let me see your ID. Now, don't physically show them that because they're going to know every lie about you. Your height. I ain't six. <laughs> For, I, I was living a lie on my driver's license. I put six foot. I went to the DMV one day. I find out I was 5'11 and three quarters. It was a heartbreak. Uh, maybe some of you know somebody that, who has created a fake ID. And why do they do that? They're either going to buy something that they know they're not supposed to buy or they're supposed to go into a place that they're not supposed to go into. The purpose is that they want to disguise their true identity. And I want you to just grasp this point right here. God made us who we are so that we can make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. And if you're going to write something down, I want you to write this in this moment, that misinformation becomes the catalyst for misrepresentation. Misinformation becomes the catalyst for misrepresentation. So how do we discover our true identity in Christ? Each and every one of you has a phone. And in that setting, there's something called discovery mode. And in that discovery mode, what it does is it allows other Bluetooth devices to find your location. But church, let me tell you something. In order for your phone to be discovered, you have to turn that mode on. Come on, church. You know where I'm going with this? Have we been turning our true self towards others? Have we been connecting to the source? 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22 says this. And it is God who establishes us. Say establishes us. With you in Christ and has appointed us. Say appointed us. And who has also put his seal on us. Say seal on us. And given us. Say given us. His spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So let's look. He's established us. He's anointed us. He's put his seal on us. He's given us this guarantee, each and every one of you. We're listening to the world, what the world wants to dictate how we should look like and what we should go about. But our true identity is in Christ. See, Christ is identified as fulfilling the cultural mandate of prophet, priest, and king right? In the Old Testament, over 400 prophecies that foreshadowed the, the Messiah. But yet when Jesus came on earth, they did not know who he was. They missed the information. In closing, your identity in Christ is not to be disguised. 
Are we presenting fake IDs towards those that need healing, that need deliverance, that wants to be set free? Are we disguising the reality of who Jesus is? Each and every one of you here has a testimony. Each and every one of you here has been established, has been appointed, has been given the Spirit of God. Your identity as Christ is not to be disguised. Your identity as Christ is supposed to be discovered so that others may find him. And closing with this scripture, Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says this. Just listen. Listen with your heart. You're here to be a light. Bring out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept, but we're going public with this. Let's make Christ discoverable so that others may find hope. How good was that? There's spit all over this microphone. So I came here today and I prepared this really great message, this cute like metaphors and prophetic stuff and and I was going to just drop it like it's hot. But but I actually believe that the Lord has called me to take you on a journey today. So we're halfway there. I want to take you all the way. Is that okay? So the, the more you shout me down, the better I preach. So is that a deal? Okay. So before Nick said um, from uh, Romans 6, 6, he said, our old self was crucified, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. And then in verse 18, it says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And a lot of us spend our lives, our Christian lives, you know, we already know Jesus, but we spend our Christian lives going, oh no, I, I can't look at that. I, I can't do that. I can't go here. I, I, can't, I can't hang around that person. I can't. And we keep our eyes on ourselves. We, we navel gaze and we keep our eyes on ourselves, right? So you're going grave digging to try to dig up that old man, the sinner who's already dead. He already died. He's already in the grave. Your nature is no, is no longer to be a sinner. Sin is not in your nature. You have new DNA. When you accepted Jesus, your nature literally changed. It was crucified on the cross with Jesus. Can I get a little theological here for a second? It was crucified on the cross with Jesus. It died when Jesus died. And when we accept Jesus, we step from sinner to saint. Do I have some saints in here today? Your identity is not in your sin. It's in your savior. So I wanna answer a question you're probably all thinking like, why do I still sin if sin is not my nature anymore? So have you ever heard the stories of people who lose a limb? and they still get phantom pain in that limb. That's what sin is in our lives. We're still feeling the phantom pain of something that's not even there anymore. We're still in the grave. We're still digging in the grave when we should be over here saying, I am a saint. What you believe about yourself is how you're gonna live. So if you believe that you're still in the grave, you're gonna live like this. 
But if you believe that you are a saint, you are gonna live like this. Are you with me? The Christian life is not about uh, white knuckling it and trying to figure out what we can't do and walk that tightrope. It's not about crucifying yourself with behavior modification. Jesus didn't die for your behavior modification. Christian life, my identity is the empowerment through grace to walk fully toward the Lord and fully toward everything He called me to be. Can you stand with me? We're gonna go somewhere. You guys, if you know me, you know that I hate the devil's stupid, ugly face. So can we just defeat him right now for the, for the last time? Okay, I'm gonna teach you something. So, when we're living as sinners, we're walking around like this. Oh, the, the, de the devil's behind me. The devil's behind me. The devil's behind me, the devil's behind me. I gotta run, I gotta hide, I gotta, oh my God, oh my God, is he gonna get me, is he gonna get me? Eddie's, Eddie's the devil, by the way. But let me show you what it looks like to live as saints. Are you ready? I want you to take this with you. Okay, you can sit now. Devil, I'm just gonna sit you right there and I'm gonna walk over here and I'm gonna lift my hands and I'm gonna worship the Lord in your face. I am gonna look at the Lord and say, I see myself, I see my sin, I see the mess I just made, but I choose to believe what the Lord has said about me. I choose to believe what he, that He is, that I am who He says He is, that He is, who he says he is. Devil, are you watching me? Because I'm going to worship the Lord right now. I am going to lift up my hands. I praise you, God. I lift up your name. I lift up your name, God, because you're good in the middle of my mess. You're good in the middle of my pain. That is who I am as a saint. One more thing, devil, you thought that that attack was gonna stop me, you thought it was gonna crush me, but now you're gonna have to sit here while God brings me the victory right in your face. That attack on my body, on my health, you thought that that was gonna defeat me, but what it did was increase my healing anointing. You just told me who I am, devil. You just told me who I am. You told me that I'm called to bring freedom and healing to people. You thought that time you crushed me with a purity problem was gonna take me down. But you know what God said? God said, I'm actually gonna restore you and I'm gonna make you powerful to bring purity to the people around you. That's who God is. That's who we are. Close your eyes with me, please. I can feel the Holy Spirit moving in this place. Everybody here came up and told a vulnerable story and taught us something beautiful and, uh, and gave us some really beautiful theological perspectives on our identity. And so right now, I wanna read you a C.S. Lewis quote. Um, it says, your real self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him. Your identity is found when your gaze is perfectly on your father. And so right now, I want you to set your gaze on the goodness of God. Today is the day that you take a step from death to life, from sinner to saint. 
you want to do that today, I want you to raise your hand. Everybody's eyes closed. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We believe um, from Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that you'll be saved, that you'll be set free, that you'll go from sinner to saint. So right now we're gonna pray. I want everybody to pray with me. Borrow my words. Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And right now I lay down that identity and I receive my new identity as a saint. You define who I am, God. And I believe what you say about me. And I surrender my life. And I believe that what the enemy has meant for my harm, that God, you're gonna take it and turn it around. All right, I promised you that it was gonna be amazing. And I'm, I'm telling you, I over-delivered because we've got some incredible, incredible messages that are just like in your soul right now. So here's what I want you to do. The most important thing you can do when God blesses you, when God breaks something through in your life is to pay it forward make some room for him to do some more by giving away what was done right now. So I wanna ask you to do this. Take this message, share it on Facebook, share it on Instagram, share it on Twitter, tag your friends, and do whatever you can to keep these messages moving. And the last thing I wanna ask you to do is rate this podcast, give us a five-star ranking, maybe leave a cool review, and we will see you next week.